This week's bracha is Bukataminim, and our discussion is different than any other discussion we've had previously. I'm not going to read closely the language of the bracha, at least not as much as in the past, in order to uh, draw out particular shades of meaning. Our question here, first of all, is I know what the bracha is about, but I am troubled by the very topic. Our question is, since the Bacha calls for the destruction in very vibrant and vivid terms of evildoers, malefactors, heretics, etc., do I really pray for that? Why do I really pray for that? Is that, to use the language we've used in this year previously, is that one of the needs of man? And if it is, why? Why did Chazal feel that we as Jews have a need to present to God our request, our demand that He destroy the evil forces in the world? Famous Gemara in Bachot, Dafyud, offhand tells us that the opposite is true. Gemara Yudam Aleph tells a story of Rabbi Meir, who in his neighborhood had uh, what's called by the Gemara Hani Birioni. Um, hoodlums. Hoodlums lived in his neighborhood and uh, they caused him a lot of trouble. They caused him a lot of tsar, it says in the Gemara. And so Rabbi Meir prayed that they should die. His wife, Beruria, said to him, How do you do such a thing? Pasuk says, Does it say, Did Davana Melech pray that the sinners should be eliminated from the land, or that the sins should be Eliminated from the land. It says Yitamu Chataim in Haaretz Urishaim Od Einam. If the sin is eliminated from the land, then the sinners will not be. The connection between the two parts of the pasuk are, though he explained, if there are no more sins, then there are no more sinners. Not because the sinners have died, but because they are no longer sinners. Therefore, she said to him, "Pray that they should repent." And not that they should die, and then there won't be any sinners left. And indeed, the story concludes very happily. He prayed that they should do tshuva, and that's what they did. They did tshuva, and everybody lived happily ever after. Okay, this Gemara, this famous Gemara, expresses Chazal's uh, disapproval, Chazal's uh, um, reluctance, and even uh, opposition to praying for the personal destruction of individuals, even though they were evil individuals, even though they were called, and really agreed that they could be called Rishaim and Chotim. One of the grandest prayers of Rosh Hashanah, when we speak about the, the future conquest of God of the entire world, when everyone will be united in the service of God, and it says... All the evil in the world will go up in smoke. 
or like smoke. Two different, two different versions. Ke'ashan techle or be'ashan techle. But the evil, the rish'ah, will grow up in smoke. We don't pray, predict, or yearn for seeing the evil people. The criminals go up in smoke. And yet, here we have a tefillah, which is quite, in our daily tefillah, which quite clearly and distinctly prays for the the death, and not only the death, but the destruction, the utter destruction, the, 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 the there aren't enough words in English to, to follow the synonyms used in the Hebrew. Of, of not just the evil principle, but of evil people. And I think that for most of us, I think for all of us, I hope for all of us, I think it should be, we should feel a certain amount of discomfort with what we're saying in this bracha. What are we really asking for and why are we really asking for it? To put the question a little bit more uh, critically, when we say other brachot, I think we have certain particular instances in mind. When I pray for the for the uh, health of all of Amisal, I also have in mind particular sick people who I like God to cure. And that's true for the brachot as well. Ask yourselves the question, who do you have in mind, if at all, when you say this bracha? Which one of your neighbors or acquaintances or people you've heard of are you thinking about? So what we're going to do today is discuss the bracha in general. We discuss the theme of the bracha much more, relatively speaking, than any particular phraseology in the bracha. But nonetheless, what I'm going to say is based on the, on the language of the bracha. This bracha merits a separate section in the Gemara explaining where it comes from. As we all know, Shmonesri is called Shmonesri, which means 18. As we all know, there are 19 brachot in Shmonesri. The Gemara brachot Daf Kavchet Amud Bet describes the process of the codification of Shmonesri as we know it. Vamam Gamliel Omer. Bachol Yom Veyomit Palel Adam Shmonesri. Amuel said, every day you should pray 18. 18 brachot. The Gemara says, 18? There were 19. Amar Rabbi Levi, Birkat Ha Tzdukin. In our Gemara it says Tzdukin. That's a, that's a piece of censorship. Uh, undoubtedly the word was Minim. Uh, heretics. Birkat Ha Tzdukin, Biyavnetik Nuha. Rashi explains, Lachar Zman Merubah. All the Brachot Vishma Esrei were originally instituted by Ensheik Nesed HaGdola in the earliest period of the second um, of the second temple, the second commonwealth. But this Bracha was not in a very late time in Yavna, meaning after the destruction of the temple, in the time of Amin Gamliel. This Bracha was added. And then the Gemara explains, Tanah Shimon, Shimon Ha Sakuli, his dear Yud Ched Brachot of Negam Gamliel Ava Seidu Biyavne. In Yavne, as part of uh, putting all of Yiddishkeit back together after the destruction of the temple, so they sat down and this person, Shimon Sakuli, he arranged, he uh, formulated the 18 Brachot before Megamliel. Amal Lahem Rabbegamliel Lachachamim. Megamliel then said to the wise people, to the Chachamim, Kulum Yesh Adam Shiodel Takin Bekatat Stukin. 
Who is going to, is there anyone wise enough? Is there anyone who's good enough? Who will know how to uh, institute, how to formulate Birkat Aminim? It's a problem, they don't know who to turn to. Shimon HaSakuli, who did OIT, apparently cannot do that bacha. Amad Shmuel HaKatan V'Tikna. So, Echacham, whose name was Shmuel HaKatan, he arose and he formulated the bacha. The Gemara ends with the following incident. L'achar l'shana acheret, in a different year, different time, Shachacha. He, Shmuel HaKatan, forgot his own formulation of the bacha. He spent two or three hours, I assume that means a long period of time, not two or three hours, but he spent a long time uh, trying to remember, and he did not succeed. I think what we learn from this story in, in the Gemara is that it's not just I, it's not just Ezra Bik or you who has a certain amount of of, of problematic, certain discomfort, certain difficulty in actually saying the bracha. The author of the bracha had a difficulty. First of all, they didn't know who could even author it. Well, there are many talented chachamim. Shimon HaSakui authored or re-authored or, or helped to finalize the formulation of all 18 brachot, but here he got stuck. And the Gamliel says, who? Who can do it? It's such a difficult bracha to formulate. And so they found somebody. Shmuel Katan did it. Shmuel Katan himself forgot. You don't have to be a, a Freudian psychologist to realize that when you forget something, I mean, it says he forgot it in another year. But I mean, presumably he was saying it every day, three times a day. I can't even begin to understand exactly, technically speaking, how you could forget something that you've said for the last year. But, but in any event, what it indicates is that the bracha, it's not natural. It doesn't flow from his heart. It's artificial. He has to, each time he has to like, you know, screw up his forehead and, and think like, what, what exactly is the right way to say this bracha? And it never comes naturally. It doesn't just trip off his tongue. As you'd expect, after a year of saying the bracha, which you yourself formulated, presumably from the depths of your being. No, I think it was Kansasa, even Shmuel Katan, who succeeded in doing it, but the bracha is not really at home in his heart. It's not a natural expression of, of Shmuel Katan's personality and his relationship with God. Now, the historians claim, I think it's undoubtedly true, that it's a difficult time. A couple of hundred years have gone by and no one said this bracha. No one thought there was a need to say this bracha. But in the aftermath of the destruction of the temple, there were a lot of sects. And the Romans are on one hand, oppressing the Jews, mibachutz, externally, and there are many sects and groups internally which are uh, dividing and and causing trouble for the Jewish people. Uh, many historians assume that the Bacha was erected against the Judeo-Christians of the early period, immediately after the destruction of the Temple, the first and second century of the Common Era. Who are Jews? They're part of the Jewish community, and the bracha is perhaps, this is only a suggestion, is perhaps directed at separating them from the Jewish community. If you're being cursed day by day in the synagogue, there will be a powerful impetus to get you to simply move out and eventually to set up a church of your own, which is, of course, what happens. Uh, but the early church in, in Palestine, in Jerusalem, were Jews. 
and they identified as Jews, and they continued to identify as Jews, and they were a, a sect of Judaism who were Christians. And in, in fact, uh, the word Mashinim, this bracha begins with, is a very strange word, and almost nobody believes that it's original. Why should it be a bracha against informers? They're bad people, but they should be the first people. So uh, almost all of the ancient manuscripts with the bracha have instead of Mashinim, have the word Mishumadim. Which means uh, people who have uh, converted out. And in fact, there are some, uh, uh, there are some uh, manuscripts where it says explicitly, no tzvim. It says Christians. But in any event, uh, let, let's assume that historically speaking, there's a particular need for the Bacha at the time that it was formulated. Nonetheless, the Bacha is so, is so severe, it's so um, uh, uh, vicious in its language. The kingdom of evil should be, I don't have enough words in my, in my paucity of my English. I've been out of an English-speaking environment for too long. It should be uprooted and, 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 and trodden down and broken and destroyed in Nusach Svad and other three expressions that I don't remember. The, the Bacha is really asking for total destruction of these people. Okay, so you're having some problems with your neighbors who are causing uh, whatever, political, religious, or sectarian problems. What, why Why is this bracha here? Why, and what I really want to know is, why is this the need of man? Let me add that if the fact of bracha is we have a problem and save us from it. Someone is oppressing us in one way or another and we need to be saved. Then I don't think you need another bracha. We have a bracha beforehand. A few weeks ago we read the bracha called Ga'al Yisrael. And I explained that that's talking about problems that people have. I think Rabbi Meir, I'm guessing now, Rabbi Meir when the local hoodlums were oppressing him and he prayed that they should die, he, that private prayer he said in Berkat Ga'al Yisrael. See our oppression. He was being oppressed. That's where it should belong. Here we have a separate bracha. means it's a total separate need. It's not the need to solve some problems with our neighbors. It's, it's a need in and of itself. I want to know what that is. Okay, time for the answer. If we look at the language of the bracha, we see that there are in fact two different closely related but nonetheless distinct themes in the bracha. There are two kinds of people being described. There are Oivecha, the enemies of God, and there are Malshinim, Minim, if you look at the ending of the Bacha, there's an unusual and in fact halachli problematic Formulation. Shover oyvim umachni azidim. You break the enemy and um, subdue zidim. Evil, evil people of some sort. There's a principle in Allah that ain't chotmim b'shtayim. You don't have two different themes in a in a chatima in the in the ending of a bracha. That's why all bachot are fairly rather simple. Gal Yisrael, ufei chulei amoy Yisrael. 
uh, one place where we have two things in the Bracha, and there's a big discussion on Lach about it, on the Bukat Yerushalayim on Tishabav, Menachem Tzion Uvonei Yerushalayim, Comfort Zion and build Jerusalem. Poskim have uh, ask why it's possible because it's they're obviously closely related, but they're two different themes. They're not supposed to end The answer here is apparently that it's not Shtaim, It's called one, but still, it was formulated as two that are so close together that it's okay. You have two different groups here, uh, two different groups who are one topic. And what are those two groups? Shover Oivim Umachnia Zedim. There were Oivim and there were Zedim. The Yerushalmi says this explicitly. The Yerushalmi that's parallel to the Gemara I quoted about how Birkat Aminim was instituted in Yavne has a different version of the story. Our version is that there were 18 Bachot and this was the 19th. Uh, the Yerushalmi has the following statement. It lists 18 Bachot and it says, Kolel shel minim b'shel poshim b'machniya zedim. He includes the bracha about the heretics and the transgressors in the bracha of subduing Zaydin. In other words, there was a bracha, there was always a bracha called Baruch Hashem Machniya Zaydin and that became the the base, that became the house in which they then added one day they decided they needed to add something so they didn't make a whole new bracha, they added it into this bracha. Did it become the nineteenth bracha? It became part of the of one of the eighteen bracha. Yishami is clear that there is a bracha called Machnia Zaidim, and then to that was added something new, but it fit in. In other words, it belonged there, but it was something new, and that was the uh, the other parts of Berkat Aminim, specifically the Minim, the the sectarians, whom Rabbi Gamliel was worried about. So we added it into this bracha of Machnia Zedim. Now, although we don't, uh, our, our version, Babi's version of the story is different, but I think it's 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 it shows us how to understand this bracha. There are, in fact, two different parts of the bracha. The Zedim are people who belong to what the bracha calls Machut Azadon. Most of you might be surprised when I say that, since in your Nusach of the Bacha, you don't say the word Machut Zadon. Honestly, I do. And it's clear to me that that should be there. And the word Zedim is another uh, correction of the censor for the original Machut Zadon. Machut Zadon, the censors understood exactly what it meant. Machut Zadon in Western Europe meant Rome. Machut Zadon to Chazal meant Rome, pagan Rome. It was a political organization that existed. And therefore, to fix that, they wrote Zaydim, meaning the evil people. And of course, we're not the evil people. No one thinks they're the evil people. They think someone else is the evil people. But the Bracha speaks of a entity called the Kingdom of Evil. The Evil Empire, if you will. Chazal called the Roman Empire either Malchut Arisha, the Kingdom of Evil, or, in this case, Malchut Zadon, the Kingdom of Iniquity. It's the way usually the word Zadon is translated. And that's based on the chapters in Sefer Daniel, which speak about four animals, which was understood to be the four nations which will rule the world in order. Egypt, Babylonia, Greece, and Rome. The Roman one is the last one, which will continue until Biata Mashiach. And it represents 
not a political uh, contention with the kingdom of Israel. It represents the center of evil in the world. There is war in the world, and it's a war between Malchut HaRisha and, first and foremost, God. Another name for Malchut HaRisha, and of course Chazal thought there was an actual, they, they, they drew an actual biological kinship between them, was Amalek. Amalek is son of Esav, and Esav is Edom, and Edom is Rome. And of course by, by Amalek it says, Ki God swears on his on his throne that there was a war of God against Amalek in all generations. That's what Malchut Harisha means, and that's the that's the true locus of the bracha. That's the true center of this bracha. It's not a bracha about saving me or you or the two of us together from someone who is. Bothering us. You know, the local government has, uh, is not willing to, uh, put up an Aruv. And, and we want God to fix that. Or something worse, the local government is taxing the Jews unfairly. The local government is, I don't know, throwing Jews in jail. Those are all bad things, terrible things. They should be gotten rid of. That's what the bracha is about. If there was a bracha like that, it would be, as I said before, in Ga'al Yisrael. In, uh, we are talking here since the last two brachot already about the national redemption of Israel the national redemption of the world we're not talking about personal problems even personal problems of all of us we're talking about the national history of the Jewish people we're talking about eventually the building of the society which will lead to Yimot HaMashiach and in that context we're saying God should change the world. We already spoke about Kibbutz Galiot. We already spoke about that we're going to found a society that will be the home of God. And if that's true, then war. Because the world is divided between the forces of evil and the forces of good. And as long as the forces of evil are not destroyed, if the center of evil, if the principle of evil is not destroyed, then then God's kingship in this world is not, doesn't exist. Or at least is very severely impugned. This follows automatically from the previous bracha of the founding of the just society, which we explained as a just society in which God can live. Now we understand why the why the bracha is so is so outrightly and and and, and strongly militaristic and 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 apocalyptic. Destruction and upheaval. Yeah, we're not. You know, I don't. We shouldn't get that apoplectic when talking about an evil person who lives in my neighborhood. Bui was 100% right. But when talking about the principle of evil, talking about the king, the, 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 um, the kingdom of evil, yes, we want it to be destroyed to its foundations. As long as that kingship exists, as long as that kingdom exists in any form, then as Chazal say in the Pasuk, Kiyad al Keska, the throne of God, not Kisei Hashem, but Keska, too short in words, for the throne is not complete and the name is not complete until the memory of Amalek is obliterated from the world. Amalek. You have to wipe it out as long as there's any remembrance of Amalek, of the kingdom of evil, then God's Kisei is only a Kes. 
And God's name, Yudke Vavke, is only Yudke. His very name, his very, his own kingship is severely limited by the presence of evil in the world. Now, of course, I must add, on a theological note, we don't believe that evil is real and equal to God. That would be dualism. And I think Jews feel a very distinct uh, reluctance, a, a, an antipathy to the way you sometimes find in Christian literature of the devil, Lucifer, as being an almost independent power fighting with God for the souls of men. We know that evil is simply the lack of good. We know that evil is where God has not been let in. But we shouldn't, we shouldn't misconstrue. Chazal do indeed believe that evil is real. And the theological problem, how it could be real, if God is responsible for everything, is an interesting problem. It's not our concern today. The Sukkot Yishayahu says, Yotzer or uvore choshech, ose shalom uvore ra. Chazal, when they stole that pasuk, with filat shacharit, they changed borei ra to borei etakol. They weren't changing the meaning, they were just taking off the edge of having to say every day to God that he created evil. That's a theological problem. But yes, Yeshua said that God has made evil. Evil really does exist. It's the antithesis of the goodness of God. There are certain figures like, like Nimrod, like Esav. They are parallel. Esav is a parallel to Yaakov. They're great, majestic, magnificent creatures of evil. In the Kabbalah, this idea is taken to a further extreme. And we have what's known as a Sitra Achra, Samael. But in any event, yes, it is a deep-seated idea in Chazal that we should not, we should not belittle the nature of evil. Evil is the opposite of God. How it could exist, you work out a theology class. But practically speaking, in this world as it is today, then the world is divided between the powers of good and the powers of evil. And this bracha is first of all we're declaring which side we belong to and calling on God to, to conclude the war, to wipe out the enemy. Because the enemy is evil. And I say that is a need of man. It's a need of the man who was saying these, these last six brachot. Man who, 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 who has a need for God to rule in the world the way the world should be and therefore he asks for kibbutz kaliyot and therefore he asks for help in setting up the just society and therefore he will ask for the building of Yerushalayim and therefore he will ask for the establishment of the kingdom of David for the very same nature he asks in the middle there between the just society and the building of Jerusalem he asks for the triumph of good over evil And that triumph, if it's not total, doesn't count. It has to be down to the foundations. Till nothing is left. And that's why this Bacha is here. And now you'll say, yeah, but what about the individuals? Ah. That I think is the is the the tension in the bracha. It isn't that difficult for me to say that I am 
totally and absolutely opposed to evil. I sign on to the good side. And the Bechai expresses total, total rejection, total opposition to the existence of evil in the world. And that's our deep-seated desire, our deep-seated need that that should happen. Ah, but now I get to the individuals. So most individuals are really just, you know, uh, not as good as they could be. We have to realize that the center of evil in the world, the kingdom of evil, the capital of evil could not exist if some people didn't choose to live there. There are people who have chosen to serve in the army of Amalek. And here the Bacha is saying something which is admittedly very difficult, but nonetheless true. You can't be totally committed to the destruction of evil without without being aware, without being willing that that should also, that opposition will in fact touch on, will in fact injure individuals who are fighting on the other side. You can't fight against the principle unless you fight against the people who are standing for that principle, who are carrying the flags of that principle. You cannot wage war against evil without waging war against people. And that, that it's a difficult proposition because the people are never as evil. The people have merely adopted evil. But they aren't evil the way the principle is. But there is no evil outside of people. If there are no evil people, then there's no evil left. So, so you can say to Rav Meir, pay no attention to the people. Go straight to their, go straight to their, to their sins and ask that their sins be, be, be corrected. Because if they do true, then there'll be no, uh, no evil left. But there are people, because there is a Malchut Zadam, because there is an entity, an organization, which serves evil, then there are also people who have made that into a machut. There's no God is not king without the Jewish people, and machut harisha is not a king is not a kingdom without evil people. We can't hide behind the the idea of the abstract idea of opposition to evil, and pretend that you can still be a total humanist and only be opposed to evil but protect every individual human being this is the difficulty in this bracha but the bracha demands that we say it and therefore it's shover oivim umachni azinim a person becomes the enemy he joins the enemy then our, our position our fight our battle with evil will in fact involve him as individual as well Apparently, interestingly enough, this has a historical development. No one felt the need to stress this from the beginning of Bayacheni until 400 years later after the destruction of the Temple. At some point in history, Chazal felt the need to make this explicit. I can surmise, it's only a surmise, that when the enemy became not foreigners, when it was Goyim, we didn't have to specify them. We knew who we were talking about because they were organized as an army and they fought the battle on the border. But when 
when the 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 arise of Jewish sects which fought against Torah, which fought against the Jewish people, which fought against the national existence of the Jewish people in this way or that way, one way or another. And naturally, these were your neighbors. And therefore, as historians point out, it was important to Chazal to separate them. It was also important for Chazal to specify them, to make it clear to the people making the Bacha that our position to Rome is not a something which is overseas, without faces. The Malchut Harisha has, has spied, has a fifth column, who lives next door. I know I sound very conspiratorial now, and very unhumanistic. And I don't think we should abandon our humanism. We do. What Bruya said is true. Pray for their repentance and not for their destruction. But you also, you can't say this Bacha without also realizing. And, and at, at some point in history, it became explicit that one should realize that there are people, these people called Minim, have joined in one way or another the forces of evil and they're fighting against the kingship of God. And when, 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 Rabbi, uh, when Rabbi Shimon realized that, and he called for someone to write it, so he turned, it was hard to find somebody. Because the opposite opinion, so correct, so normal, so natural, so, so, so Jewish in its, in its, in its basis, is the, was, was, was the nature of all the Chachamim in the room. And, and none of them could, could really formulate well this this extreme position, which needed to be ex- at least expressed, he found Shmuel Akatan. Shmuel Akatan appears one more time in Shas in Avot, fourth parak, parak Dalad, Mishnah Chav Dalad. What was his saying? Binafol oivecha al tismach. Do not rejoice in the fall of your enemy. There's no question that it was not a coincidence that the man who said that was chosen actually volunteered, according to the Gemara, to write Birkat Aminim. A man who is not suspect at all of having any personal joy, any personal opposition to his enemies. The enemies will be destroyed. If they will fall, it will not be a cause. Their fall will not be a cause of my rejoicing. That kind of a person could write this bracha, and not all that successfully. And even so, he forgot it the next year. So you ask me, okay, let's go back to the question I asked in the beginning. So who do you have in mind when you say this bracha? If the bracha says that it's not just the principle, but also the people, then who do you have in mind? I'll tell you the truth. I think there's a natural tendency, historically among the Jews, to, not, to try not to answer that question. For instance, the Yavi HaKadosh is quoted in Yisod HaShosh V'Havodah as saying that the Malshinim refers not to people, but to the Klipot, to certain forces of evil. And then he added, V'chein Uyim L'chavein. That's what it says in the Sefer. No, it's not just that everything in the Yavi is deeper and deeper kavanot to the Tefillah. But here he says, you all should have that kavanah. Think of the forces, the external forces of evil, rather than given people. I don't, uh, I don't have it that way. Um, I once heard a vote, also, Chasidut, 
It's quoted in the name of of, uh, of David Otona. He said the following. He said, you know, half the world is uh, corrupted by heresy, by minut and apikosot. Do you think, he said to us Hasidim, that means half of the people? No. Every single person is half of each person. I think it's also the same attempt. In other words, the minim aren't individuals, they're, they're within us. They're half of each one of us. And we want that to be destroyed. It's also a way to get around the problem, the very true problem of how do you address individuals in this way. I'll tell you the truth, I'll tell you what I do. My mind is blank. I don't have anybody in mind. I think that for me, it's enough that I be aware of the fact that it could apply to individuals. When I say my mind is blank, I don't pretend, I think it's wrong to pretend, that I'm talking about the force of evil, but not evil people. If there is a force of evil, then evil people as well. But I don't have to choose them now. I don't have to pick out who it is. Nobody I know particularly. That's what I wanted to have to say. But nonetheless, the Baha'i is about individuals. I don't put a face on those individuals. I don't give them a name. But you should realize that the time of 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 iffy piffy humanism is over when you get to when you get to the stage in the Bacha. And so we continue to pray that that the evil shall go up in smoke and then God will rule by himself the prayer of Rosh Hashanah that God will rule alone because the evil will simply disappear is indeed a prayer but the need that we have not a prayer but a need is that evil should be destroyed and we know, we must know what that means to be ready for the consequences. The picture, the dream that we have of the kingship of God in the world will not be complete until we are willing and ready for the ultimate battle, the ultimate war to take place and to be concluded. And thank God next week we will go to the more pleasant but nonetheless the other side of the same coin. When evil is destroyed then righteousness is rewarded which is the next bracha which we will get to next week. Shalom b'chol tov.